Let's read music. Let me ask you, do you really enjoy your life? Why is it so difficult to enjoy life? Well, this morning from Ecclesiastes, we want to learn how to enjoy life by learning to enjoy what God has given to us. Before us in Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and chapter 6 is a contrast, one between an enjoyable life and one a miserable life. And it isn't the wealth itself that provides the contrast. What is before us is prosperity in all its joy and prosperity in all its misery. 5, 8 to 22 addresses prosperity in all its joy. And 6, 1 to 6 addresses prosperity in its misery. So our theme this morning is we are to learn to enjoy life as a result of making the most of what God has given to us. The key verse is found in verse 18 of Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Here is what I have seen to be good and fitting to eat, to drink, and, and then these key words, enjoy oneself. And all one's labor in which he toils under the sun during the few years of his life which God has given him, for this is his reward. This passage is about enjoyment. Notice Ecclesiastes 6, verses 1 and 2. There is an evil which I have seen under the sun, and it is prevalent among men. A man to whom God has given riches and wealth and honor, so that his soul lacks nothing of all that he desires. But God has not empowered him to eat from them, for a foreigner, note the word, enjoys them. This is vanity and sincere affliction. It is better not to have been born than to be born and fail to enjoy life. That's Ecclesiastes 6, 3 through 5. Notice verse 6. Even if the other man lives a thousand years twice and does not, here's our word, enjoy good things, do not all go to one place. So this is about enjoying the good things that God has given to us. That is not just an Old Testament theme. It's a New Testament theme as well. 1 Timothy 6.17 states, Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. It's interesting that that message... Paul says to Timothy, is to be delivered to the rich, to the wealthy, to the prosperous in this present age. Teach them to learn to enjoy all that God has given to them. So it's a process. We need to learn to enjoy what God has given to us. As we look at this passage, the emphasis is upon God. God gives us life to enjoy. It is appropriate that we enjoy life. That almost sounds like a hedonistic message. It almost sounds like a wealth and health gospel. That God is concerned about our 
enjoyment. But he really is. Notice Ecclesiastes chapter 5 verse 18. Here is what I've seen to be good and fitting. To be appropriate. To be right. To be correct. To eat, to drink, and to enjoy oneself in all one's labor. That's appropriate. That is right. We should be enjoying life. We're to enjoy life's simple pleasures. We're to enjoy eating and drinking. Verse 18. To eat and to drink and to enjoy oneself. Now, some of us enjoy eating and drinking a little too much. And uh, I'm in that category and have to watch the enjoyment. But it is pleasurable, is it not? To sit down to a, a good meal. Who doesn't look forward to Thanksgiving? And, uh, oh, I love turkey and all the, the trimmings. and uh, Well, I can go on. But we need to learn to enjoy those simple things that God provides us. We are blessed, and especially in this country, where we have so much food and we're able to eat. What a, what a joy. We are to take pleasure in that. We're not to miss out or fail to recognize God's give goodness in providing for us. In the New Testament, we're taught to pray, give us this day our daily bread. How many here don't know not only where today's bread is coming from, but tomorrow's and next week? Most of us have a pantry full, and uh, we are in good stead. We worry about when the snow comes and we've got to stock up for the three or four days. Uh, but the reality is we're to enjoy those simple pleasures. We're to enjoy work. Verse 18. Here's what I have seen to be good and fitting to eat, to drink, and to enjoy oneself in all one's labor. We're to enjoy Work. Now, work is not a curse. And work is not intended to be a problem. Before the fall, Adam worked. Genesis 2.15. Then the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to cultivate it and to keep it. So, Adam and Eve worked before the fall. They cultivated the garden. They kept the garden. They were gardeners if you will, farmers. But after the fall, in Genesis 3, 17, 18, then to Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree about which I commend you, saying, you shall not eat from it, cursed is the ground because of you, in toil you shall eat it all the days of your life, both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, because from it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So it's not work, but it's the frustrations of work that are the curse. It is the difficulties that are associated with work. It's the hardship. It's the times in which our work doesn't seem to account for anything, or it doesn't seem to be worth value, or things aren't going particularly well. That's a part of the curse. But work itself is a good thing. And we are to rejoice in the ability to work. Rejoice in the ability to work. Some people look forward to when they don't have to work anymore. That's their life's ambition. That's their goal. To get to that place when they no longer have 
to go to work. Well, some people in retirement find out that they miss work. They miss that daily routine. What makes life enjoyable is to find work that you love to do. Find work that you love to do. Many, many people are motivated by what they do based on what they can make. People want to make a certain amount of of money. And oftentimes they find themselves doing things they don't particularly enjoy in order to further their career or in order to get a bigger paycheck. That is a worldly approach. Find out where you can make the most money and take that job. But jobs are more than just about money. They're about fulfillment. Find something that you enjoy to do. Find something that you believe is worthwhile, that is meaningful, that will make a difference. And give yourself wholeheartedly to that. That is a part of learning to enjoy life. I can't imagine what it's like to hate to go to work. I've always been a minister. and I've had part-time jobs. Uh, you know, I've, I've done a little bit of, of a lot of different things. It's hard to imagine, but I was a, I was a uh, lawnmower mechanic uh, for uh, uh, one, one year. I painted uh, buildings for another year. There are different things I did, all of which were all right, but I really and thoroughly love what I do. Uh, I'm so thankful for the opportunity to be a pastor, and I certainly rejoice in the goodness that you, the way in which you provide for me and and care for me. Uh, I don't have many cares or worries, and I feel for people that don't like to go to work. But to learn to enjoy work is a very important part of learning to uh, enjoy life. But I talked about retirement. And this passage isn't necessarily talking about a paycheck, although that it isn't a passage dealing with wealth. So there's the application that we should be worried for more than just about a paycheck. But even if you have a job that uh, you go to eight hours a day and you don't particularly like that, you can involve yourselves in things that do bring great joy to your heart. You can give yourself to the Lord's work. You can give yourself to doing things outside the workplace in which you find great fulfillment and great satisfaction and great joy. It's not just about recreation. It's not just about doing nothing. But in serving God, there is great enjoyment. The ability to enjoy life is, in fact, a gift from God. Previously, prosperity last week was looked at from a perspective under the sun, of a worldly perspective. Now, we gain a view from God's perspective. God is back in the picture. In verses 18, 19, and 20, God is mentioned four times. Four times. And all four times, it's in association with what God gives or God provides. First, God is the one who gives life. Verse 18. Here is what I've seen to be good and fitting to eat, to drink, and to enjoy oneself and all one's labor in which he toils under the sun. Now these words, during the few years of his life which God has given him. God has given us life. Our days are numbered 
They are in His hand. He is the giver and sustainer of life. God is the one who gives prosperity. Verse 19. Furthermore, as for every man to whom God has given riches and wealth, all that we enjoy is ultimately from God's hand. It is of His power that we are able to get what we get and achieve what we achieve. God is the one who gives us the ability to enjoy what we have. Verse 19. Furthermore, as for every man to whom God has given riches and wealth, he has also empowered him to eat from them and to receive his ward and to rejoice in his labor. This is the gift of God. This is God's gift to us. That he empowers us to eat from that which we have received. Uh, We are to enjoy eating and drinking. Verse uh, 18. We are to recognize in verse 19 that that is a gift that he provides. Sometimes, you see, people have loads of food, but they're unable to eat it. Um, Perhaps they have dietary restrictions. Or uh, they have other physical problems. And they would love to sit down and eat a good meal, but they are physically unable to do so. It is God who enables us to enjoy life. He is the one who sustains us physically so that we can enjoy what we have. Verse 19, he has also empowered him to eat from them. He is the one who gives us the strength, the the joy. Uh, I didn't know if I wanted to use this illustration, but uh, I purchased a car last summer. In the beginning of the summer, uh, it was our intention that this year, uh, we, my wife and I, were going to take a trip. It was, we were going to take six weeks, uh, uh, and uh, the, the uh, Board of Elders were gracious in clearing uh, us to go on a six-week uh, trip to across the country. And we were going to drive out to California and up the coast. And it had been my dream since a, a teenager to take that trip and to go out Route 66 and go up the coast and to see the, the, uh, the ocean. And it was going to be great. And not only that, but, you know, it had to be in a convertible. It just, you got you to take that kind of a trip in a convertible. So last July, I bought a convertible. I bought a 2001 BMW 325i convertible. It's gorgeous. It's in mint shape. It's got 65,000 miles on it, but it looks like it's brand new. I bought that in July, and I injured my foot in August. I drove that car three times. Three times I drove that car. It's a stick. And I had to face the reality that... Driving stick isn't in my future. Uh, I'm going to be able to walk, but I'm going to lose my ability to turn my foot left to right. And uh, every car I have is a stick. And so, uh, to make a long story short, uh, I traded my compass uh, and and bought a used uh, CX-9. So now I'm driving an automatic big thing. And uh, my brother... 
is picking up my BMW. I sold it to him. And he's going to have that uh, Monday, a week from Monday. And so this car that I was looking forward to and uh, this trip that I was wanting to make for years, uh, I had it within my grasp. And I lost it. It is God who empowers us to enjoy what he gives. We can get it on our own, as it were. I mean, all that was provided by him. But the point is, God sustains. God sustains. I tell that story not looking for pity. uh, Because, you know, I'm happy. I'm fine. Uh, You know, uh, driving automatic is not the worst thing in the world. And uh, now I don't have to worry about messing up my hair. So... You know, there's, there's so many good things that, that have come. But, but the point is, you see, the point is that it is God who enables us to enjoy what he provides. We are at his hands. And so we're to rejoice and give thanks, not only in what he provides, but in the ability that he gives us to enjoy it once he provides it. God is the one who prospers Our work. Notice verse 19. Furthermore, as for every man to whom God has given riches and wealth, he has also empowered him to eat from them and to receive his reward. The reward is the fruit of our labors. It is God who causes the seed to grow. It is God who causes the harvest to be full. It is reward. That is what he does. So that we can rejoice in our labor when we see it to be productive. My father, after he was a farmer and uh, sold the farm, turned to selling farm equipment. And uh, one year he sold a corn planter to a corporation that was uh, farming. And uh, this corporation was in New Jersey. And there was a drought. And they planted their corn and there was no harvest. Uh, It was poor because it didn't grow. And so there was no reward for their labor. And as a result, they sued my father for selling them this corn planter in which the corn didn't grow. And they were blaming my father and said that he made an implicit promise that if they used this planter, that they would have corn. Well, it was taken to court, but it wasn't very long before the judge looked at the plaintiff. Because, you know, they were saying to my father, he's on the witness stand, he has to know my, my dad. Uh, he was very concerned about integrity, about honesty. And so they'd ask him questions and, you know, he, he kind of fumble around. And they said to him, uh, did you promise did you make the assertion that this, this corn planter would uh, grow corn? And he said, well, it doesn't sound like something I would say, but I can't remember every word that, that I've ever uttered. And so, you know, they, they're, he's being cross-examined. And all of a sudden, in the middle of the trial, the judge just stopped it and said, this is ridiculous. He said, if there's no rain, everyone knows corn doesn't grow. Doesn't matter what kind of corn planter you used. He said, if, if there's no rain, corn doesn't grow. I know that much about farming. Case dismissed. And uh, he threw it out. And uh, it was, of course, it was absurd. It was absurd. But you see, it is God 
who makes the corn grow. You can do all the right things. You can, you can plant. You can weed. You can fertilize. You can do all that you need to do. But ultimately, the harvest is in God's hands. That's true about all our labors. That's true about all our work. Whatever the success, ultimately, it's of God. He provides the strength. He provides the wisdom. He provides the ability. So God is the one who enables us to find joy in our hard work. Verse 19, the last statement, and to rejoice in his labor. This is the gift of God. God is the one who grants us contentment. Ecclesiastes 5.20 For he will not often consider the years of his life. This person is uh, experiencing contentment. He will not often consider the years of his life. This person will not mope over the past nor worry about the future. He isn't consumed in looking backwards and thinking about all the troubles and hardships and difficulties that he'd experienced. He wasn't just sitting there bemoaning himself and saying, pity me. I've had a hard and difficult life. Nor is he looking to the future and sitting there worrying and fretting about what is going to happen Next, he does not consider the years of his life. Why? Because through trust in God, this person is preoccupied with his present goodness. Notice verse 20. God keeps him occupied with the gladness of his heart. This word occupied is the word from which we get occupation. It's a play on words. This person who is out doing his work and doing his job, and taking joy in it, and rejoicing in what God is doing, finds contentment because he's not bemoaning the past, and he's not worried about the future. He's taking it day by day and recognizing God's goodness to him. Brothers and sisters, if we could just learn that great lesson... God, who has been faithful to us in the past, will be faithful to us in the future. God, who has provided for us in the past, will provide for us in the future. Again, in the New Testament, we are to pray, give us this day our daily bread. If we can learn to rejoice in what God has given us today and quit worrying about tomorrow, knowing that it is God who gave it to us today, and it will be God who will give it to us tomorrow, how much more we can enjoy life. How much more we can take pleasure in what we presently possess. But we're afraid of losing it. Or we're afraid that it won't be there in my elderly age. And we fail to enjoy what we have today. Learning to live in the present. In Ecclesiastes 6, 1-6, we find that there are few things that are more pitiful than to be richly blessed and fail to enjoy it. What a waste to be richly blessed and fail to enjoy it. Now, I have used this illustration before, so 
forgive me those of you who have heard it, but it's striking to me. Because when I was young, believe it or not, I was extremely thin. And uh, one of those reasons was I, I ran a lot. I was a, a cross-country runner and uh, ran great distances and played sports. And, but I was really, really thin. I was 145 pounds when I graduated from high school, as tall as I am now. I'm a little more than that, but uh, I was 145 pounds when I graduated from high school. I was skinny. You can count my ribs. Uh, and I used to eat protein shakes. I lifted weights. I did everything under the sun to try and gain weight and to bulk up, and I couldn't. I just couldn't gain weight. And now, I've learned how to gain weight. Uh, I've got it down. I don't even need the protein shakes anymore. Uh, and I can gain weight. And, and, of course, I'm too heavy, and I need to lose weight. And somewhere in the middle there, I was the ideal weight. Some point in my life, I woke up, and I was the perfect weight. Not too fat, not too thin, just right. But I missed it. I didn't have a party. I didn't celebrate. I didn't say, today's the day you finally have the perfect weight. No, I missed it. I failed to enjoy that particular time in my life. And if we aren't careful, we can fail to enjoy some significant and meaningful times in our lives. They simply are overlooked as we are preoccupied with other things. There are things about your life today that are unique to today that you ought to really be enjoying that weren't true of years gone by and won't be true tomorrow and years into the future. They are unique to this moment. Don't lose out on what is unique to your life today. Relish it. Enjoy it. Praise God and give thanks for it. In Hebrew culture, there were three traditional values that were seen to make life enjoyable. They were the three legs of the milking stool, if you will, of what was to make Life enjoyable. They were wealth, long life, and having a lot of children. Those three things were seen as the blessing of God. They were seen as having it made. If you had those three things, you had it all. Wealth, long life, and many children. Ecclesiastes chapter 6 talks about the futility of not enjoying the, the wealth, the long life, and the many children. Notice first the futility associated with great wealth without enjoyment. Ecclesiastes 6, 1 and 2. There is an evil which I have seen under the sun, and it is prevalent among men. A man to whom God has given riches and wealth and honor, so that his soul lacks nothing... Of all the desires, but God has not empowered him to eat from them, for a foreigner enjoys them. This is vanity and a severe affliction. So as you look at verses 1 and 2 of chapter 6, and looking at them phrase by phrase, Solomon denotes a problem. 
He sees a great waste. Verse 1, there is an evil that I've seen under the sun. This word for evil is not a moral evil. He's not talking about that which is, is uh, sinful. He's speaking about that which is senseless. It's a real shame. Or we might say in our vernacular, it's a crime. It's a crime. He looks at life and sees something that just is totally inappropriate. And that is a person who is wealthy, but yet is unable to enjoy it. That problem he sees is all too common. Notice verse 1. There's an evil which I've seen under the sun, and it is prevalent among men. It is common among mankind. It's not unique. It's not rare. It's not unusual. In fact, it's the ordinary. It's almost what's to be expected. Here is a person who's given great wealth and yet doesn't enjoy it. Notice the problem described. The man has everything he could want in life. Verse 2. A man to whom God has given riches and wealth and honor so that his soul lacks nothing of all that he desires. Everything he could want, God gives. Now, you would think that if a person got everything they wanted, that they would be ecstatic. But this person fails to enjoy it. Why? Notice the end of verse 2. But God has not empowered him to eat from them for a foreigner enjoys them. Someone else enjoys it. Someone else benefits from it. This car I bought, my brother is going to enjoy. But uh, he's a good guy and he's going to give me what I paid for it. So that's, that's nice. But uh, he's going to enjoy it. The result is twofold. It renders money and ultimately life meaningless. Notice the end of verse 2. This is vanity. This is meaningless. This is absurd. It goes contrary to what we think. One would think if you got finally everything you wanted, you would enjoy life. But here's a person who gets everything they want and they don't enjoy it. Have you ever had that? Ever gotten anything you, you wanted and enjoy it. Today I'm going to make myself look really bad. And I'm going to make myself look incredibly materialistic because I'm really bad and incredibly materialistic. And uh, when I was a young person, you might get from this illustration and these ways I'm talking, I enjoy cars, I do. And uh, when I was 14, I was looking forward to when I could drive and uh, wanted an Austin Healey. I had seen them, brochures. It's a little two-seater uh, British sports car, uh, roadster. It was a gorgeous little thing. And that's what I wanted. And I grew up on a farm. And uh, when I was 12 years old, I knew I wasn't going to get paid for working on a farm. And I said to my dad, you know, give me a cow. He thought that was kind of funny and said, sure, okay, I'll give you a cow. And uh, so he gave me a cow for my, my work. And then I bred the cow and had the calf and all the other stuff. To make a long story short... That was when I was 12. By the time I was 16, with my cow and my calves and everything else, I had enough money to buy a brand new Austin Healey. And I did. In fact, I bought it a month before 
I turned 16 because I couldn't wait. And so I couldn't even drive them at home. I had to sit in the passenger side, and my dad drove it home. So that's my materialistic self. And I had this car, and I, and I liked it. And I went out every day and sat in it and played the radio. So that when I was 16, the battery was dead, and I couldn't even drive it. I had to, I had to get another battery because I blew the battery out. But anyway, my heart's desire, I was thrilled. I was excited. I can't tell you. I, I, I lay awake at night thinking about that car in the garage and, you know, can't wait till I drive it. I was thrilled for six months. And then I went and uh, Austin Hillary's made by British Leyland. And uh, so that was a British Leyland showroom. And the other car that's made by British Leyland is Jaguar. And I saw an XKE sitting there. And all of a sudden, my Austin Healy didn't look all that nifty anymore because there was a Jaguar. The amazing thing in life is getting what you want and still not enjoying it. How often has that been? Think about your own self. That Christmas present. That gift as a, as a child. That perfect vacation, whatever it was. You were working for it, you were, you were longing for it, and you finally get it. And it disappoints you. And it doesn't bring the joy that you were expecting it to bring. Because joy doesn't consist in the things. It consists in the joy of God who provides the things. And to rejoice in his goodness. And so, the source, the result is not only meaninglessness, but a source of consternation and unhappiness. The end of verse 2. This is vanity and a sincere affliction. Um, I was going to use the illustration of, of Midas this morning. You may remember Midas. He was a mythological king of Phrygia. And uh, he treated the satyr of the god Dionysus, kindly. So Dionysus said to Midas, I will grant you whatever wish you would want. And so he requests that whatever he would touch would turn to gold. Dionysus looks at him and says, are you sure that you really want that, that ability? And he says, yes, I do. And so Dionysus grants it and Midas is given the ability that whatever he touched turns to gold. And so on his way back, uh, to his kingdom, he, he touches a flower and it turns to gold, and he's delighted. He's delighted. Until he returns home, and uh, he takes his daughter's hand, and she turns to gold. And then he picks up a piece of fruit to eat it, and it turns to gold. And all of a sudden, that which he desperately wanted turns out to be a curse. And he finds it to be his harm. And he regretted the fact that he had made the wish that everything he touched would turn to gold. Moral of the story, be careful what you wish for. And maybe more appropriately, be careful what you work for. What's your goal? What's your ambition? What's your secret dream and passion? What have you been telling yourself is going to make you happy? What's going to complete you? What's, what's going to fulfill you? What is going to just bring incredible joy to your heart? 
I hope it's something that when you get it, you don't look at yourself as having wasted your life, regretting, and finding it isn't all that was cracked up to be or all that you'd hope it to be. There is the futility of children without the ability to enjoy them. In verse 3, if a man has a hundred children, it's an exaggeration. It is intended to, to demonstrate the absurdness of the illustration. Here's a man who has a hundred children. Jewish people want large families. Well, he's got a hundred kids. That's pretty large by any person's standards. Verse 3, but his soul is not satisfied with good things. But it doesn't bring him what he wants. He has no honor. This man, in verse 3, doesn't even have a proper burial. The reason that, that families wanted many children was they were seen to be the future. They would provide for the, for the parents. They would be able to farm the farm. They would be able to do what was, was work and necessary. And so here's this person who wanted loads of children. And yet, when it comes time to be buried, where are they? And he's buried in obscurity. He says, better than not to have lived at all than to experience that. Please ask these six, verse five, better the miscarriage than he. For it comes in futility and goes in obscurity and its name is covered in obscurity. Better that the person would never even been born than to experience that. There's the futility and meaningless of a long life when it is not enjoyed. Verse 6, even if the other man lives a thousand years, twice. Again, exaggeration, the absurdity. Even if he lives a thousand years, no, two thousand years. And does not enjoy good things. What's the point? What's the point? I say to you this morning, what is the point of all that you have? What is the point of your getting up every morning and going to work? What's the point of rearing your children? What is the point of all that God has blessed you with if today you're miserable? Learn to enjoy life. But that enjoyment isn't the way that our world tells us to enjoy life. We need to enjoy life, first of all, by being preoccupied with the present. And simply thanking God for what I have today. Taking my eyes off the past and quit worrying about the future and just saying, God, you have been faithful to me today. Look what I have. Enjoyment consists in knowing all that we have comes from God. Again, it removes the worry, the concern of providing for ourselves. This passage continually says, this is a gift of God. This is His reward. I am where I am by the grace of God. So thank you, God. It should make us appreciative to God and it should also make us confident about the future. He will provide for us. Quit worrying about the future. 
accumulation of wealth is no safeguard against the future. That's why many people want to accumulate wealth. Last week, we looked at lovers of money. Today, it's for self-preservation, self-protection, to have enough money. And last week, we talked about that Frenchman who had $1.4 billion and lost it all through investing it with Madoff. You'd think that if he had $1.4 billion, he'd be okay. He probably sat back and said, I'm set for life. And in a moment, he lost $1.4 billion. So he went out and committed suicide. Now, it's not in the accumulation of wealth. It's in our protection. It's in our relationship with God. All too many people sacrifice and save and accrue and gain prosperity in the future, but never, ever partake of it. They never experience the joy of it. My one aunt was extremely frugal. She lived in the Depression era and worked very hard, saved her money, and uh, she was a maiden woman, never, never was married, never had any children. And would deny herself the simple pleasures in life, eating and drinking. Uh, she told me about how she used to work in an office above a pharmacy drugstore situation. And she often thought about how nice it would be to sit at the counter and eat a chocolate fudge sundae. But she never did because she didn't want to waste the money. And uh, so, uh, she got older, and she got uh, elderly, and she saved quite a bit of money. And she also became a diabetic, a pretty severe one. And she said, now i got the money, but now I can't eat the ice cream. Now i got the money, but now I can't eat the ice cream. And she died. With a lot of that money. Obviously we're not talking about being wasteful. We're not preaching against saving. Not against investments. But I am saying to you. Are you enjoying life? But you see it's not about the material things themselves. It's about rejoicing. In the opportunities. The health. And the strength. And the days, circumstances, and events of which I should give thanks and praise to God. God, you are good to me. I need to see that goodness. And quit envying other people, other things. Focus on myself and recognize that you have richly blessed me. Let's pray. Our Father, help us to see your blessings in our lives. We all are different. All our circumstances are, are not the same. And, and many times there are hardships. Lord, help us to acknowledge, first of all, that many of the hardships we're experiencing are the result of our own sinfulness. Uh, that uh, many times we fail to enjoy life because we've sought pleasure in ways that are displeasing to you. And we found them to be uh, 
bankrupt. There's pleasure in sin for a season, but when that season is over, the pleasure is gone. Lord, help us to enjoy life by doing what's right, what's pleasing in your sight. Help us to enjoy life by acknowledging that everything we have comes from you. Therefore, Lord, we can trust you about our future and we can enjoy today and not have to sit and fret about tomorrow. For you are the God of tomorrow, even as you are the God of today. Lord, help us to see the futility and meaninglessness of life, of people laboring so hard, working and trying to get, and never able to find enjoyment and satisfaction in all that they have accumulated and all that they have. Lord, help us not to waste our lives on things, but learn to rejoice in you and your provision and your goodness to us. For it's in Jesus' name we pray.